folks. Uh, welcome to the Fallon Forum. This is Ed Fallon, your host here as we broadcast from the heartland from uh, Des Moines, Iowa. Hey, thanks to um, our production squad at KHOI, Ursula Rudenberg, and also to the production team at uh, the Fallon Forum, Kathy Burns and Sherry Herdina. Uh, please, you know, subscribe to the Fallon Forum on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts. And also you can follow both the Fallon Forum and KHOI on Facebook. You know, thanks to all the stations around the country that rebroadcast this program, including KICI in Iowa City, uh, WHIV in New Orleans, KPIP in Fayette, Missouri, KCEI in Taos, New Mexico, and other stations through the Pacific Radio Network. All right, so um, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk about the election, folks. Um, both the presidential part of it, the congressional and Iowa legislative part of it, and also about what happens next, and that is a moving target. And I'm really delighted to have such a great, um, a great uh, group of uh, people with us today. Um, first of all, I want to introduce uh, Kathy Burns. She's my partner and fellow farmer. She's also a writer, an editor, a climate activist, a former educator who now directs Birds and Bees Urban Farm. Her mission with the farm is to help people learn how to turn their yard into dinner as one solution to the threat of the climate uh, crisis. Uh, Kathy, thanks for joining us. We also have Dr. Charles Goldman. He's a longtime contributor to the, to the Fallon Forum. Um, yeah, since the program was launched about 10 years ago. Charles is a surgeon and palliative doctor at Mercy One in Des Moines. He has uh, never run for political office, not even class president. And he has been a diligent student of politics and philosophy since his college days. Charles, welcome to the show. Yeah, it's good to see you Ed, and everybody else. Yeah, Ray Kabasu is a Des Moines Register opinion columnist whose commentaries are distributed nationally and internationally by Tribune Content Agency. She has worked as a reporter, editorial writer, and columnist in newspapers in New York, Florida, and most important, in Iowa. Rekha, welcome to the program. Thank you, good to be here. And finally, Pasha A. Morgan, a fairly recent Iowa implant. He's a human rights activist, a self-described political junkie and analyst, uh, as well as a public speaker on racial inequality, African-American history, He's also a veteran of the United States Army and last year marched 800 miles from Des Moines to Texas to protest the detention of immigrant families. Pasha, welcome to the program. Thank you. Hi, how are you doing? All right, so um, again, the presidential election is still very much in flux, but there's a, there's a lot going on. Um, I guess my first question to people is, were you surprised at are you, are you surprised to find ourselves where we are today? Uh, I mean, there was some talking about a Biden blowout. There were lots of other takes on what might happen. Rekha, let's start with you. Are you are you surprised at where we're at today with the uh, presidential election? I mean, I'm not so surprised in the sense that because of the coronavirus, I knew that votes were going to be coming in by mail for a while, and some states were allowing them to be counted a lot later than we um, than we normally do. Um, and I know that there were long, long lines to vote virtually at the auditor's offices for a while, um, and also uh, to use the drop boxes in the auditor's office and other places. So there were all of these different ways of doing it this year, which I think was great, but also created an expectation that it would be a while before the final count was done. What I frankly was surprised by was how um, watching the returns last night, how close the race seemed to be. I really did not expect Donald Trump to make such a comeback, frankly. I thought that it would be very decisively a Biden race. And I have to say that um, it has really traumatized me, in fact, 
to think that there are that many people, that the country is that profoundly split in half, that so many people would want to see another four years of Trump. Um, I've been very disappointed in that. And also, of course, the fact that, that Iowa went red and is now decisively a red state. Pasha, what's your take on, on, on where we're at with the presidential election? Um, I am not surprised at all. Um, in fact, I, I actually, that's not true. I'm slightly surprised, but my surprise is in the fact that Trump didn't win. That is actually my surprise. I am a little, I think when I finally figured out that Biden was really going to pull this off, I was, that, that was a little shocking to me because otherwise I had pretty much determined that Trump was going to win. Not that I wanted him to, but I definitely thought that that was a possibility. And again, he hasn't won yet. Right. True. Right. True. Um, I, again, political junkie, self-described, subscribed analyst. Really, there's, there's, if you, if you're looking at the numbers right now, you're right. He has not won. There's been no actual call it's almost impossible for for Trump to win at this point. Well, all right, Kathy, your take. Uh, I'm not <laughs> as surprised in this moment as I have been gradually being more surprised for the past maybe 12 years at, at how with every general election, it seems like there's more and more at stake. It, when I was first voting as a teenager and young adult, it seemed like, well, it'd be nice if, you know, the person I'm voting for would win, but I never felt as invested in the the outcome as I do. And uh, we used to have some, some particular issues that were contested in each election, and now our very democracy is at stake. So that's, to me, the gradual creeping up of the surprise is really full force right now. Charles? Yeah, I'm not surprised it's this close, um, which says a lot about the American voter and also how the populace is basically split down the middle. But what I'm most surprised about is how somnolent the majority or the plurality of Americans remain. Um, this is going to be a record turnout and that's still going to leave us in the lower quartile of other democracies around the world. Um, you know, Australia and Canada have 95% participation. If you couldn't rouse yourself to vote in this election, I, there's something seriously wrong with the American populace in terms of where we are right now. I mean, one third of the people in the United States didn't care who won. Just jump in here and say, in defense of my own surprisedness, um, that all of the polls were predicting a pretty broad race and a pretty resounding Biden victory. And somehow, especially more recently in recent weeks, and so... You know, I think it's partly a function of the people I surround myself with. I don't know anyone, including Republicans, who are planning to vote for Trump. Um, and you just, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. The people you talk to reinforce your own beliefs. And, you know, that's, that's you believe you're the righteous ones and you're on the right page. And so you don't imagine that there are people out there um, who have the kinds of biases, you know, they exist, but that, you know, that who's, who's, um, whose life view mirrors that of Trump and whose values mirror Trump's. Um, because I think, especially in the Midwest, people think of themselves, of ourselves as decent, honorable people who care about each other, who care about our neighbors. And 
embracing Trump in the midst of all of those supposed values doesn't make any sense to me. Now, the, the polls, of course, in 2016, the polls were notoriously wrong. No, and they weren't. They weren't notoriously wrong. The polls in 16 showed that it was a close race. She was ahead by Clinton was ahead by 2.5, 2.5 points nationally at the on the day of election with most people voting that day. They weren't wrong. Uh, well, they were definitely wrong. They were definitely wrong this time around. And look, except the, the Seltzer poll, which came out just before the election, uh, that's the the Iowa poll, which of course you're familiar with, Reka. You know, showed basically that um, you know it was uh, Trump taking the lead. Um, and, you know, back in September, that same poll showed they were tied. What I found really interesting about that poll, and maybe possibly get your take on this, too, is that, um, you, know, you know, Trump led, uh, sorry, sorry, you know, Trump led um, among independents, uh, 49 to 35 percent. But back in September, uh, Biden led among independents, 50 to 38 percent, a huge shift. And also, surprisingly, perhaps among women, uh, Biden has, was ahead of women by ahead ahead uh, among women. He was ahead by twenty points back in September, and that shrunk to a nine point lead just before the election. What's but, going on there? What why why that big shift? Ed, what doesn't make sense about that is that similarly, when they talked to people yesterday, the vast majority of voters, as well as people who had mailed in, said they had made up their mind months ago about who they were going to vote for. So how anybody could have shifted to that degree? in the last two months. And the other question is, what did Trump do in the last two months that would have shifted people? What do you think, Pasha? There's, well, <laughs> first, um, if you don't follow Trump, um, which I do on lots of different social medias, um, there's something he can do every hour that could cause that shift, literally. Um, it's not just a big news story. He's constantly, he's constantly coming out of the woodwork with off the cuff lies stories right now he is going in such a he's involved in such a devolution for all, <laughs> it's all i can really think of it that he is that you can't even find his tweets or his social media posts anymore because the social media sites are having to block everything he's saying is a lie so everything is coming up blocked 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 so there's so many things that he could have done. Um, as far as being so, Pasha, which which of his? I mean, he throws everything at the wall. Which lie in particular would change the mind of a suburban woman? No, who knows? Who knows? Once you can, once you can have locker room talk and be accused of all kinds of assault and still get the women's vote like he did in 2016, who knows what bro was the straw that broke the camel's back this time? I do know this. I do know that I do believe that the majority of the polls in 2016 were, you know what, maybe, okay, I won't even say wrong. Let's say they were not as encompassing as they needed to be. So they didn't cover up. They didn't cover an entire sector of our population that sure got up and went to the polls and shocked the hell out of the world in 2016. Shocked most of us. Um, in 2020, we're here again. And the Democrats, this is my take on it. You have every, the Democrats didn't do anything. They didn't change anything. They didn't, they, the, the, the big complaint was third party voters in 2016 who couldn't bring themselves to vote for Clinton, nor could they bring themselves to vote for Trump. And yet the Democratic Party 
basically changed absolutely nothing to reach those 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 voters for four years. And what they basically did was at the end of four years, then just said, oh, well, we did what we're going to do. Vote for our candidate. And a lot of third party voters said, no, there are millions. I'm watching the third party voters. They are adding up in the millions. And because the Democratic Party refused to to take responsibility for the fact that it's not reaching the people that it's supposed to reach. And part of the reason is its own innate racism within the party. Well, that, that's a great point about, see, they flipped Arizona. They didn't flip Arizona by that strategy, by waiting till the very end. They flipped Arizona by starting with activism from day one of the Trump administration, pointing out to the different Latino population that lives in Arizona from the population that lives in Florida, that you've got Joe Arpaio, you know, I'm surprised Trump didn't give him the Medal of Freedom, you know, and- He's probably coming in the second term. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And they spent time from day one of his administration saying, we're not gonna have people sitting at home in Maricopa County who are Latinos and not represent this time against what was going on in Arizona specifically. So you're absolutely right. You can't just do it this four months before the election. It's got to start right now. And so let me start for that. If they, you know, Biden has a term now, they need to start right now figuring out how the Democrats spend this much money and get nothing for it. Well, if Biden wins, I mean, again, I, I think this thing is still wide open with the uh, the, the real the probability there's going to be a lot of legal action. Uh, the tr- Trump has his Trump card is the U.S. Supreme Court. And I think he's going to find a way to try to get some some of the some of this decision pushed there to the point where he's going to somehow still claim victory. Do you think that's too far fetched? Yeah. Uh, yes. And yet he loses. So he comes up short. Yeah, I, I, I agree with Pasha because Pennsylvania, in fact, that decision by Kavanaugh the other day, which everyone lambasted talking about, it's up to the state legislatures to determine how the vote is going to be administered. The reason we don't have the votes counted now is because the state legislatures in all these states, most of them Republican state legislatures, said you don't start counting until Election Day, including the mail-ins. All of this is about what the state legislature had already mandated. He has no case. He knows he has no case. He's just doing this for show. Because you know, let me get let me get Kathy and Rekha to, to weigh in on that question too about where this is likely to end in terms of possible legal action. Um, I. I think it, it's still up in the air. It could go so many different directions. I don't really have a prediction. I have some uh, ideas about how I might react to each scenario as it plays <laughs> out. So um, I, there will be legal um, uh, battles. and Trump's uh, promised that. Um, fortunately, there's been a group of people talking together in advance about refusing to accept illegitimate results, about refusing to um, to uh, be subservient to an illegitimate ruler if, yeah. if it comes to that. So people are thinking ahead about how they're going to react to the scenarios. And I think that's what we really need to focus on. What do you think, Ray? Is this going to go to the courts? Um, he's going to try and get it to the courts, but I don't know that he's going to have any grounds. And so far, nobody, including some lawyers in these various states, even with the Republican Party, have said in TV interviews that I've seen that they ha- that he has no grounds. Um, but I don't know if any of you caught this. Maybe about an hour ago, I was watching MSNBC, and the reporter was in Detroit, and behind her was a place where they were counting ballots. And apparently this group of self-described poll watchers who are connected with Trump came charging in 
locked out the legitimate poll watchers who are actually going to do a count, took over the building and said the counting had to stop. And I don't know. Brooks Brothers riot of 2000. It's the same thing they tried in Miami. That's what he told them. That's yeah. what, exactly what Trump said last night in, well, early this morning, he said, we will be going to the U.S. Supreme Court. We want all voting to stop. We don't want them to find any ballots at four o'clock in the morning and add them to the list. OK, that was Trump's exact statement. I, ironically, ironically, if they, stop, if they stop the voting now, Biden wins because he wins Nevada and he wins Arizona. So, They've already declared um, both Michigan and Wisconsin in his favor. Of course, correct. Trump was also saying we're expecting a big win in Arizona at that point. And He's so not going to win Arizona. They're not going to, but they wouldn't. I mean, they'd have to stop the counting if you went by his word, which is, you know, yeah. by yesterday. Right. The end of election day. So he wants it both ways. And I think everybody knows that. And I don't, you know, he's going to take it to the Supreme Court, really, because he just appointed, you know, a couple of its members. I, so I be, before we move to the next segment, Prediction then. It sounds like, Rick, you're saying Biden will be the next president. I believe so. Yeah. Charles? Yes. Kathy? It's looking like it. Basha? I don't see a way, even if Trump gets Georgia, North Carolina, and Pennsylvania, he still comes up with 265. That's correct. So he's still short. Where I knew there would be math on this quiz. And that's why I think that's why he's going to find a way to tweak the courts. But I hope you're all right. I love being wrong when it comes to these things. Yeah. And the last thing I would say is so. As Michigan and Wisconsin, and and so all he needs is in the in he that so that adds him up to two fifty or what is it? Well, yeah, Nevada, and Michigan give two seventy exactly. exactly. Yeah. Right. And so we haven't yet declared right. Nevada for Biden, right? Right. But, but the other thing to remember is, so we're going to have Biden win by four or five points, and according to the Electoral College, this is going to be a slim win. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, this, this is why the Electoral College has got to go. And that's what actually I wanted to mention the Electoral College before when someone was saying that the polls were so wrong. They were not wrong in 2016 because they predicted. I mean, the polls are all polls of the popular vote. They're mm -hmm. not of state electoral ballot votes. And that's the problem. You know, I think in both 2016 and this year, the popular vote will go to the Democrat. But that's well, not the popular vote almost always goes to the Democrat. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's yeah. not the way the system works. And we and that needs to be changed. I mean, that just yeah. absolutely needs to be changed. That's another really important conversation. Hey, so um, up next, by the way, for folks listening on, on, the, uh, on the dial, we're going to be talking about uh, Republicans controlling the U.S. Senate, um, the inroads they made in the U.S. House, and we'll also take a look at the Iowa legislature. But I want to take a second to thank some of our underwriters um, provided by uh, Gateway Marketing Cafe, a full-service grocery store in Des Moines' Sherman Hill neighborhood, the cafe is open seven days a week for lunch and supper and for breakfast on the weekends. Cafe orders are also available using Gateway's takeout service. More at gatewaymarket.com. Underwriting also from Architecture by Synthesis, offering planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance buildings. They specialize in environmentally friendly designs, including insulated structures made from grain bins. More at architecturebysynthesis.com. Underwriting also by Noche Jazz and Cabaret, located in downtown Des Moines. Noche features both national acts and local performers, including Max Wellman, Gina Gedler, Tina Haas Findlay, and Nick Leo. Noche also offers a cocktail bar and serves a variety of small plates. More at nochedsm.com. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, 
artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Catering and floral services are also available. The cafe is open for carryout and delivery daily. Gateway Market is centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. It's important to know where your food comes from. At Hawk Restaurant, that's easy because 90% comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. At East 5th and Walnut Street, Hawk is open Monday through Saturday for dine-in, patio seating, curbside pickup, and carry-out. Hawk also serves fantastic breakfast wraps with 100% of the ingredients from Iowa, except for the salt and pepper. Learn more at hawktable.com. That's H-O-Q table.com. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-built services for high-performance, no-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. They've been doing this work for over 30 years on a wide variety of project types, specializing in super-insulated structures made from, wait for it, grain bins. Yep, with the right experience, tools, and creativity, so much is possible. View images of projects and learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com. That's architecturebysynthesis. With uh, Rekha Basu, Pasha Morgan, Charles Goldman, and Kathy Burns here on the uh, Fallon Forum, broadcasting live uh, for the first time ever, I think, on KHOI 89.1 FM. So I've uh, taken a look at the, uh, the Senate. Um, Democrats had hoped to uh, take control of that. Does, does not look like it's going to happen. Uh, Democrats had thought to expand their margin in the U.S. House. Republicans yeah. actually picked up a handful yeah. of seats, including two here in Iowa. Probably two, at least one. Mm-hmm. One will probably be well. When you get four hundred thousand votes cast in the second district in Iowa, and the margin of victory is twenty-eight votes, there'll probably be a recount. So, um, but what do you think? Uh, are you know, did Democrats just totally miss the boat on what they should have, what they expected to accomplish in the U.S. House and Senate, or is something else at play here? Who wants to start this one? They missed- I have a, as a country mouse my whole life until <laughs> recently, until the past three years, I've almost always lived. I just want to say. This has frustrated me for a long time because year after year we would hear, uh, and this this kind of makes me think about you know this year's Senate too. We thought we thought Greenfield could could cinch that, but um, you hear politicians. Sorry, Ed. I'm, go, re- I'm recovering. It's okay. <laughs> come in, come into your small town where where you live and say, you know, we wanted to come here and share with you our ideas and talk about our priorities and. I always thought, no, listen to our ideas, listen to our priorities. And it's always been upside down and maybe it's getting a little better, but boy, I looked at the, the Iowa map to see how that vote went. And it, it looks like that urban rural divide is alive and well. Well, it's every state. That's part of why, or maybe the main mm-hmm. reason why Democrats were not able to um, regain the Senate. Yes. So what? So why do rural um, Republicans, like well, not Republicans, rural people in general, respond to Trump so much? Does he come in and say, "Tell me your ideas"? That's a that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. But, I don't think he's ever asked anybody for an idea, right? For anything, yeah. <laughs> but, but but at least there, there's a, there's there's an attempt to make a connection with people who feel like they've been left out. 
mm-hmm. and bring and tell them you've been left out. You're you're now part of our gang. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, he does that. That's a good point. That's it. And that's what I was going to say about the Democratic Party. Yes, first, yes, the Democratic Party absolutely missed the boat. They've been, they missed the boat. They missed it last last election. They missed it this election. And then they whine and cry because they can't understand, oh, I don't understand why people leave in the Democratic Party. So here's the thing. So yes, they did miss the boat. Not only did they miss the boat, but they missed it, a lot of it, the same reason they gave away the election in 2016, is because of their own innate racism because they, and they were that they refuse to acknowledge because democrats equate poor people with people of color immediately uh-huh. the two go hand in hand like there is no separation so while republicans are talking to uh people of material means um, and Democrats are talking to people of color and assuming that they're also poor people. And meanwhile, you have all of these white poor people who are 30 some odd percent of our population, 31, 32, you know, approximately Trump's polling numbers, who have been left out for year after year after year and election after election after election. And he goes to them and goes, hey, I see you. And they don't give a damn what he's talking about. They just know he's finally talking to them for the first time in God knows how many elections. So, yeah, uh, people are talking about him. Oh, oh, nobody's going to vote for Trump. Nobody's going to vote for Trump. Were you guys talking to people in West Virginia? Because I was, and I know for a fact, he drew almost 40,000 people in Wellington, West Virginia, just a few weeks ago. Just so you don't think he goes and plays the race card with those people and says, Black people are stealing your jobs. The immigrants are coming in here illegally to take, no. you know, to rape your wife and children and to do all of that. I, I think he totally does. I think race is very big. Yeah, but doesn't most of the time. He no, I, I, have you talked to anybody who's actually gone to a Trump rally? He does not most of the time. No, yeah, Pops, I, mean, yeah. I, lived, I, I lived in West Virginia. Yeah, I lived in West Virginia for, and for quite a while. And he talks about those thugs out there who are Black Lives Matter people. Yeah, sure he does. He plays up law and order. He plays up everything else, but he's not so specific in because you still he's still he's he's a con man and he's smart. Mm-hmm. He's a salesman. So he's still, he's not going to go there and go, you know what? Black people are killing everything and uh, everybody's stealing your jobs because he realizes that he still depends on some of those moderates and the moderates are not going to go for that. So he can't just out and out say, oh, black people are doing this. He's tied. He does the same thing Nixon did. You tie a group of people you don't want or you don't like to something else that you know that you can bash and that you can say whatever you can say about it. And you equate the two and then you don't have to be overtly racist. You can do it when he says they're pretty fine people on both sides. And you're talking about white supremacy. He makes it very clear his race. But it's not. But but Reka, I I think the point that Pasha is making is a great one, which is if the Democrats saw themselves as a workers party again. Right. Stop talking about race. Because first of all, race is an artificial construct. Race doesn't exist. Race, we in the United States have made exist because we make it about the color of your skin, which means nothing. (laughs) <laughs> not we doc What's that? <laughs> i said not we doc no i understand that i understand but but right you're yeah, right but, but your point is that the poor are made up almost equally of whites as of people of color and I'm, the democrats don't get it the message shouldn't be about race the message should be about you are a worker you are a slave of corporations you are you are made the slave by republican policies called right to work laws you know and instead 
They're all about race and being politically correct on race. And law and order works a lot better on suburban white women than it does on rural people who are gunned up, who said, I can protect myself. They're not worried about law and order. So let me bring this back to the U.S. Senate and the U.S. House. Again, I think there's, um, you know, you're talking about Trump, but that same demeanor, that same perspective exists uh, among Republican leaders in those chambers as well. What is what are we likely to see again? You know, it's hard to know what I mean, you know, in terms of economic populism, you can say one thing that Donald Trump did deliver on something that labor unions have wanted for a long time. That was um you know, addressing NAFTA. I'm not I'm not going to say he did a good job at that, but he talked about it. He campaigned on it. What do you see coming out of the U.S. Senate and the U.S. House, again, with a stronger Republican presence in the, in the House and continued control in the Senate? Um, what do you see coming out in terms of policy, but also in terms of judicial appointments? Well, first of all, there won't be a judicial appointment for four years because the new McConnell rule will be that you can't appoint a Supreme Court justice within four years of a president. <laughs> so there aren't going to be any judicial appointments. It's going to be Obama too. And Lindsey Graham will second that. That's right. It's and, going to be Obama too. And then tell you to mark his words and bring him back to him if he says anything else and then vote for the lame. <laughs> you can't make this up. You can't yeah. make this up. It, it's going to be ruled by executive order. One good thing for workers did come out of yesterday's election, and that is that Florida passed a $15 an hour minimum wage. Yes. It up from $8.25, I think is what it is now. Yeah. So it, it doesn't go fully into effect until 2025, but still, they did that. And nobody, I don't think any other state did, did anything quite like that. Oh, but, I think, what is it, like different states, again, legalized marijuana? So I'm pretty sure. Five. That, five five did, states. Yeah. Uh, and then, Why did you know that so quickly? <laughs> <laughs> I looked it up. <laughs> oh, right. I, I what are you insinuating? I've got it written down here. So Arizona, New Jersey, South Dakota, Montana. Um, Arizona. Wait a minute. I missed somebody. Yeah, you Arizona. Oregon went, another, Oregon went another step, I think. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Again, legalized. Yes, they legalized. They decriminalized mm -hmm. all drugs. Right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Dollar fines, but decriminalization and uh, somebody else decriminalized uh, only psychedelics. Who did no, that? No, that, that? was Oregon. Oregon again. That was Oregon. Oh, oh. DC, DC was psychedelics. Oh, I think. Well, yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, that anyway. was actually my that was actually my pick for the most important referendum. To answer your question about what we what we see with uh, with more Republican controlled uh, everything and and the Supreme Court is uh, women's rights to make decisions being stripped totally away from us. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's gotten worse and worse. And uh, the folks who are claiming that, you know, defunding Planned Parenthood is saving babies. No, that's the way to stop. That's the way to stop abortions is to fully fund those family planning and educational and support units. It's just, there's a real backward thing on that. Do you see further erosion of uh, women's rights to choose? Uh, well, when we shift over to talking about Iowa specifically, I mean, it's okay. going to be hell for women. It's going to be yeah. hell for women in the state. It already yeah, I mean, is. It was, it was fascinating to me uh, that the two there was a suburban blue wave two years ago here in Iowa, as there was in other parts of the country. But in the Des Moines suburbs, four Republican seats that have been held by Republicans for a long time flipped to Democratic women. Two of those women got beat yesterday. Right. right. So what does that mean in terms of policy here? But they got they got beaten by two other women. So Republican women, yeah. There's a woman. 
Sorry. Yeah, so I, I mean, I, I don't know what that means in terms of policy. Kim Reynolds is a woman, and she has done absolutely nothing to help with women's issues or absolutely right nothing. else. You know, I mean, look, I don't want to. I don't know if we want to get into this territory, but it's frankly the power of evangelical Christianity in this state that is so strong and that has such a stranglehold on policies. And cult. You How do you address that? How do you address that? The cult of evangelical Christianity. Yes. Mm. A cult of it, exactly. I mean, how do you address that? You address that by by showing people, and this is what's so frustrating is that it seems so difficult to do, that if you do more to, as you were saying, reach out to women and girls and make birth control more available, then you don't have to worry about abortion. And, you know, I think that one thing, I think one of the big things for him is this abortion issue. I think he gets a lot, I've, I've heard Republicans say, including women, that they will hold their nose and vote for Trump because they are anti-abortion. They believe in saving babies. Do they say they're anti-abortion or they're pro-life? They're pro-life. But a few of them this year in Iowa actually changed because they just couldn't stand everything else he was doing. And they and they especially felt horrified by the things he's doing to people who are already alive, like children, putting them in cages. Mm-hmm. Because well, because pro, pro-life is only about the fetus. Right. Right, exactly. Yeah. According to Greek mythology that Christians have adopted as some sort of ancient Judaism. Well, but let, let's be clear. The linkage of abortion was a conscious decision by Republican strategists in the 70s. It's a creation of the Republican strategy to link up with fundamentalist Christians during the Carter administration leading to Reagan. And it's a phony issue in many ways. I'm not saying it doesn't have ethical aspects. I would even argue, and I know, Rekha and Kathy, you're going you're gonna to take this the wrong way. I would even argue, let Roe v. Wade go already, because the only way you're going to secure abortion rights is to make women of today who know nothing about why abortion rights exist understand the consequence of having Republicans in charge. First of all, you're not going to stop it. This court is 6-3 with young justices. They are going to chip away at abortion rights no matter what you do. And the longer we let the Republicans keep this as an issue to influence their base, we're helping them. States are gonna legalize abortion just the way they did before. But to make 50 states allow abortion through federal fiat is you're gonna continue to have this country divided 50-50 this way. I have to agree with you. It's easy to say that do that, but look who's paying the price then. Women and girls are not the men who get them pregnant, not, you know. I I understand that. I'm not arguing that. But what has what has Roe v. Wade begot? Roe v. Wade got us here. It got us. Even Justice Ginsburg felt it was a bad decision based on a bad precedent. Let me see if you can see this. Everywhere there's red on that map would be a place where a woman would not. I understand that. So Pasha, I'm not I'm not denying that. But in many of those places, there is no access to abortion now anyway. That's not true. Texas, you can barely have access to abortion. But if you need to, you can get there. There's well, some- the, the reality also is that you can do this on your own. You can certainly access things over the Internet. There is a morning after pill, which, again, is going to be a matter of dispute before the Supreme Court. What I'm saying is I'm not saying that there's any rectitude in this in what the Republicans want. What I'm saying is face the facts. It's a 6-3 court, which when Breyer retires is going to be 
two, because we're never going to get another justice with McConnell still there. You're saying bark up the right tree, bark up our state channels. That's correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's that's what was happening until Roe v. Wade, when it turned all to the federal government. So you're saying it should be decided on a state by state basis. I think that's the only reality you have. You're not going to be able to change the the, the federal the, government the court place, though, Charles. What's that? Why did the federal government step in in the first place, though? They stepped in because at, there was a very different sort of, for instance, there were there were Catholic priests who were taking women from West Virginia to New York to have abortions in the 60s because there was no access in West Virginia. It, it is what you said before. It is it is this doctrinaire radical Catholicism and radical Protestant fundamentalism that has linked this issue up and made it impossible to adjudicate at the federal level. Yeah, but if you get if you take it away at a federal level, then you leave these women battling on their own in these in the all of these red states, all of these red states. Picture that election map and think about how many women are in these states. Iowa, Nebraska, Kansas, Missouri, Oklahoma, Texas, um, Arizona normally. Good job, Arizona. Arizona normally, Florida, North Carolina, all of these states that will have a vice grip on these women. And then what do they do? And think well, about the deaths that are going to result from attempts at self-abortion. We've seen that. We've seen that in this country. I've seen it in Ethiopia big time when they decided to illegalize abortion, where women were using herbs and different kinds of coat hanger techniques. I mean, why would we ever send women back to that? I know your argument theoretically, but I, in practice, too much suffering is going to happen. But in fact, all that suffering is going to happen anyway, because those same states are going to go back again with these laws about credentialing the abortion providers and everything else. And this time, this Supreme Court is going to say those are fine. And you're going to essentially have no abortion providers in most of those red states anyway. If you instead let them do the catastrophic thing, then you are going to you are going to galvanize women among that third who don't vote to say enough of this already. I mean, I feel Kathy, like yeah. Go ahead, Rekha. Then I want to give Kathy a chance to weigh in before we got to oh. take a short break. Talk, Kathy. Talk. Oh no, I'm just the one who dragged this cat out of the bag. So I'm <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm fascinated with the conversation. I'm I'm fine with okay. hearing what Rekha has to say. It's kind of like saying, let's go back to indentured servitude and see how bad it gets so that people are going to have to fight it. You know, why, why would you put any population through that kind of horror show just to show how bad it can get? Because the act, the idea of access to abortion rights at present is a, is phony anyway. It's gone in most places anyway, in true fact. And all you do by letting them kill it by a thousand cuts is give people the false impression that it's still something you can get. I don't think you can trust individual states to come up with their abortion. Cannot trust individual states. That has been proven time and time again from from the time of slavery to now. You Contra, can it, it before Roe v. Wade, Alabama had a more liberal abortion law than New York State did. So. It is a function of the power of the very groups you've been talking about that we now have this doctrinaire view of abortion and the manipulation. Okay, so point taken. Uh, under an, under a, a stronger Republican control in the U.S. House and Senate, and at the Iowa Legislature and legislatures across the country, we might expect um, a lot of more, a lot more activism, possibly in the wrong direction, on the right to choose. 
uh, we're, I'm, I would add too, we're also going to probably see some uh, pretty awful uh, initiatives relevant to the environment and, and climate change. But hey, um, let me just take a short break here. Um, up next, we'll be talking about the public response to the election as it continues to unfold and the role that violence and nonviolence might play in that uh, in that process. Uh, but first, I want to again thank the um, the uh, local folks who helped make this uh, program possible. Uh, underwriting for this program provided by Hawk Restaurant in Des Moines East Village. At Hawk, uh, 90% of the food served comes from Iowa Farms and Iowa Producers. Hawk is open Monday through Saturday for dine-in, patio seating, curbside pickup, and carryout. More at Hawk, H-O-Q-HawkTable.com. Underwriting by Bold Iowa, founded in 19, 19, 2015, to build urban-rural coalitions to address climate change, prevent the abuse of eminent domain, and protect Iowa's soil, air, and water. Bold Iowa is committed to using peaceful, nonviolent means to push for change. More information at boldiowa.com. Underwriting also provided by Story County Veterinary Clinic. Uh, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience caring for large and small animals. More at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page or call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Noche is the premier home in Des Moines for jazz and cabaret. With its prime downtown location, Noche attracts both national acts and local favorites, including Max Wellman, Gina Gedler, and Tina Haas Findlay. Every Wednesday night, you can enjoy the progressive sounds of one of America's longest-running jazz orchestras, the Des Moines Big Band. Noche also offers a world-class cocktail bar and serves a variety of small plates. Noche on Walnut Street, south of the Sculpture Park in downtown Des Moines. Across the Des Moines metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. This unique venue is also known for its live music and displays of local artwork on the walls. Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six days a week. Make Ritual Cafe a daily part of your ritual. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got an elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Dr. Kim Holding a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. So back to our program here. Again, uh, with us today, uh, Charles Goldman, Pasha Morgan, Rekha Basu, Kathy Burns. We've been talking about the election. And my next um, question is, what happens next on the streets, in the communities? Uh, We've been talking about the halls of power, the courts, Biden and Trump, how they're going to respond. How do people respond? I mean, I know it's hard to say for sure because we don't know how this is all going to play out. But um, Given the likelihood of this continuing and becoming even more contentious, um, you know, we can. Where do we want to start? Pasha, you want to kick this one off? What's going to happen out there in the streets? I think as soon as Trump supporters realize that he has lost, they're going to go crazy. 
Honestly, I think they're going to lose him. Um, I think it's going to be a call to arms on his part, sort of like he did this morning. Um, I think that he is just like when they tried to run Biden off the road and he came on there and said they didn't he didn't do anything wrong. They didn't do anything wrong and called him patriots. And and I get his text messages because I signed up for him. And I can tell you long after the election, he was still he's still sending texts saying things like, uh, they're trying to steal this election from us. Urgent, friend. The integrity of the election is at stake. President Trump and the GOP need your help to fight back. That's what he's still sending out. That was just a couple of hours ago. So, so do you see? Do you see people getting out there? Are um, they Biden wins? Uh, are the Proud Boys and others going to be taking to the streets with their guns and doing crazy stuff? Yeah, I think so. I mean, think? think about how they act when they win a Super Bowl championship. They're not going. <laughs> well, Los Angeles went pretty crazy for both the NBA and, and that's the, a lot uh, more important. <laughs> Imagine what's going to happen now. That, that was sports fans specifically, not Trump supporters. Trump's already been um, trying to incite that kind of reaction, Pasha, because it, again, in his uh, early morning address, he started out by saying we were all set to go outside and just celebrate and meaning we like he and his supporters. He was talking about him and his supporters. Why go outside and celebrate? He meant get in the streets, get intimidating people. There was a clear context to that, I felt. It's important to note that when he said whatever he said at sometime early, early this morning, um, that the Ben Shapiro, Ben Shapiro people had to get on social media and say uh, that that he called him out and said that it was irresponsible of him to say claim um uh, a victory when nothing had happened. And Chris Wallace, again, another Fox News supporter, uh, said that this is that the country is a powder keg and the president just threw in a match. So he knew exactly what he was doing. Not only that, but so do the people around him and so yeah. do the people he's talking to. Yeah, and you know, quite frankly, anyone gets out there and starts riding in the streets is going to get COVID. It's really, it's not a safe time to be out there unmasked among people, which is what Trump supporters do. They never wear masks because he tells them, you know, they're weaklings if they do. So it's not a good time. It's going to be winter. It's going to be cold. How long do you really think these folks are going to keep up protest for? Once they see he's clearly a loser, he's not going to be back in the White House. Do you think they'll really stay that loyal to him? Charles, what do you think? I mean, I'm... I was thinking there'd be a lot more disruption of the voting itself, which would have been much more effective in the sense that would have simply required them standing across the street um, with, you know, open carry like in Michigan and other places. I'm, I'm, I think Trump is just as dangerous in that, in this sense, outside of the presidency um, as he is in it. Um, I'm just not sure that he actually is seen by them as worth it. I'm actually more concerned about the superstitiousness and the devolution of humanity represented by QAnon, that we have people out there who truly believe this. And I think those people are actually more dangerous. And, and there's a certain overlap with those, with the Proud Boys and QAnon. Um, and I'm not sure where those people are going to go because they believe that there is a huge cabal of pedophiles 
uh, who are harvesting adrenals to you know ingest for longevity. I, well, one, one, one concern I have, and Pasha and I talked about this on Facebook a while back, uh, not a great place to have a conversation, but when coffee wasn't available, I guess you settled for Facebook, right? The, um, you know, one of my concerns is that, uh, you know, I, I mean, I've always been opposed to violence as part of any, any, any movement for social change. But now you have people on kind of on the left side of the political spectrum saying, hey, you know, we're beyond protest now. This is war. It's okay for us to be carrying, they're carrying guns. We got to be carrying guns too. And I'm real concerned about where that leads. Um, and, and I don't know if other people share that concern. Um, and maybe, maybe it's overblown, but um, it, you know, if. That's not unique. That's not unique to this period. I mean, the, the gun control laws initially came about as a reaction to the, the Panthers and others in California yep. Yep. brandishing weapons, which they, was perfectly legal to do. We had bombings by the left in, in, in you know, the 60s were somewhat of a, uh, an exception to the rule because at that time, left-wing terrorism was more dangerous. Usually in this country, it's right-wing terrorism, which is far more dangerous. But we've had that before. So I'm not, I'm not saying it would be great. And I think there is the potential for that to happen. I mean, we've made it through that before. I don't see how going back to that's going to help because all it does is, is undermine your own objective. If you're as violent as they are, you're just the same. Uh, I'm not hearing that from the left. Are you? Are no, you? I'm not saying. I'm not saying that that that's that's Ed's positing that now there's a lot of armed people on both sides. Um, I think I think there are some statistics that more people are buying. Oh, that's absolutely true. Than ever before, and and people who call themselves liberal as well. In fact, uh, some loved couple of loved ones have encouraged. Yeah, no, I know that. That's absolutely true. Yeah, there's more guns out there, more people with guns, yeah. What would be the alternative? In terms of what? I mean, and I am a pacifist. Mr. Love. But what would be, what is the alternative now that people have picked up guns and have started shooting protesters and we've lost about 14 of us and now some guy just last Sunday thought that somebody was stealing Trump signs out of a yard, so he shot three more people. What would be the alternative for the for the for the for lack of a better word left? And in for me, I, I would defer to the uh, the rich history. Uh, you know, I mean, Martin Luther King, Mahatma Gandhi. Those are just two of um, hundreds and hundreds of uh, of individuals, organizations that have. Fought uh, violence and oppression nonviolently with a lot of success. Uh, Erica Chenoweth has a great uh, study about that. But they, it wasn't that successful. They killed him. They shot Martin Luther King. He's dead, and he was dead before he was fifty years old. So it wasn't that successful. So again, that's why I'm asking. So what is the what is the alternative? Because the alter it seems that the the further we get into this, as the right gets more um, out of control and more dysfunctional, and and I can't say the other word because Kathy fussed at me. I'm not allowed to cuss. <laughs> so um, as they go, as they go that far, it seems that the the what keeps coming back is for the left to just continue to be shot or to be beat or to I, and, and to be beat in the streets. So what is the alternative? I get that, and the other nuance of the whole thing is um, some of the historical nonviolent uh, successful. In, to put it loosely, although a lot of people died, successful, ultimately nonviolent resistance movements 
have not also faced something that we're facing today, which is not just the resistance needing to be mounted against the militia, the police, the powers that be, but against random individuals here and there all over the place who have armed themselves and who have decided that they're standing their ground. And I, I, I hate guns. I hate, hate, hate. I've lost, I've lost when I was an educator, I lost so many students to guns. It was, it's, it hurt. It's a big, big hurt. And um, I hate them, but Pasha, I totally hear what you're saying. I totally hear what you're saying. Tasha, I've been in Mogadishu and having armed gun battles as the answer is not going to work. I mean, no, being shot in the street without anything is not going to work either. And and when we we use the, and when we fall back on the term successful, we have to think about what we determine what we decide is successful because so far successful means that because um, in the civil rights movement, successful meant that our leaders were shot down in the street, our, their homes were burned down, they were murdered on the side of the road without doing anything. And then we're still fighting this same fight 50 years later. So how successful was it actually? So how is how is exacting terror on the on those who don't agree going to change that? Defense. That's what I'm asking, because I'm saying you were saying something about the people who are on the left or consider themselves liberal now arming themselves. Well, yeah, after yeah, after months of getting shot in the street and beat down. Yeah, I'm sure they are grabbing a few guns now. So the question is, what is the alternative if it's not for defense? Because I like to call myself. I tell people all the time. You can call me a love child, a little mix of Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. Yes, absolutely. I'm all about love, and I, I that's that's what I and I'm a pacifist, and I will probably let you beat me down, to till till I can't breathe. Probably, in 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 my own efforts. That being said, I'm not going to let you do that to somebody else. I will defend them by any means necessary. Rekha, do you want to jump in? Yeah, I just want to say this, that I, I understand what you're saying, Pasha. I understand in the concept of self-defense, although I am not at all a fan of weapons. But I also know that in the case of women who get guns to defend themselves, they tend to be used against them, you know, when they're in domestic violence kinds of relationships. Those weapons are used against them more often than they're used to kill or harm the perpetrator. And I think in the case of Black Liberation Movement, they've already been weapons charges by police and the prosecution logged against protesters who you know just had them and you're allowed to have guns in this state right but because i think they're going to be used against people of color disproportionately that they have them to to create a conspiracy theory and to prosecute them to add charges because we see this happening already i agree well, i mean the irony was is that the the the, the cdc was kept from studying gun violence because of the study that was done in a basically African-American neighborhood in Baltimore in which guns were procured to defend themselves against the rampant crime in that neighborhood. And what they found was that the people with the guns ended up disproportionately having the guns either turned on them or the big thing was committing suicides with guns. And so yeah, I, I don't see people on the left and going to buy guns to fight it out in the streets with the Proud Boys. They are perceiving it, I believe, as defense with the uncertainty of whether the police would respond. Um, so I don't see it as an act of aggression. Uh, and I certainly don't see the devolution of our country into tribalism, true tribalism as an answer to to you know the racism and other inec you know in injustices in this country. 
tribalism is certainly not going to make this a more just country. I think one thing, I mean, at the core of all of this is complete reform of police protocols and, you know, what, what the training is and what they're ordered to do. And I think, you know, if we could have people who come and defuse a tense situation rather than come with their weapons and, you know, try to take people down, that it would be a much saner world we lived in, but we don't have that. We have people who just want to arrest. We have so many people who are just going after homeless people for crimes like standing in the middle of a sidewalk and panhandling, even though that's no longer a crime, right? So jaywalking is now a crime. Oh, or, Kathy, we'd be doing lots of prison I'd be, time if she got caught jaywalking. I'd be in jail forever for jaywalking. Jaywalking, see, yeah, me too. Or something <laughs> See, that white. That's a crime in yeah. Iowa. That's, the, well, that's why I thought Pasha's choice of the decriminalization of marijuana in multiple places was a great choice. Not because I think, of course, that is sane, but we should do everything to decriminalize things and stop increasing the contact yeah. with police, with anybody in the citizenry over minor nonsense like possession of small amounts of drugs. So again, there's uh, there, there's lots of conversation, I think, about um, the appropriate role of violence uh, responding, I mean, generally speaking, but especially during this very, very tense post-election time. But there has also been a very extensive conversation, a lot, and several different organizations, of, uh, coalitions of organizations have led these conversations about how to involve nonviolent action as the as a response to the potential for for you know, further um, oppression uh, after the election. And those are those are pretty interesting uh, conversations. I don't know if you've been a part of any of those, but um, but uh, I'm encouraged by that. Uh, I think part of the challenge with nonviolent action is it works best on a large scale and it's hard to mobilize a large scale in America to do that. It's uh, it, it happens rarely elsewhere in the world. Um, but when it does, it, you know, it, it's it's pretty powerful. Well, I, I would like to think that we could have some kind of large scale reaction and, and squelch any violence and get it, just be done with it. I don't see it happening, but um, I think we have the harder work to do now instead of waiting till a year before an election to talk to people about what we what we feel, what we believe. I think we have the hard work now to talk to people who aren't like us, who disagree with us and listen to them. Don't talk at them, but listen to them. And we should all be making a point to reach out and connect with someone and, and just hear them and just, just show our humanity. That's gonna be really hard work for some of us for the next four years. Kathy, we're going to give you the last word. Uh, we've, oh. got to, we've got to wrap this up here uh, shortly. Uh, I want to thank uh, the folks uh, who joined this conversation. Uh, Rekha Basu with the Des Moines Register, thank you so much. Uh, Dr. Charles Goldman, a, a surgeon and a palliative care physician at Mercy One. And Pasha Morgan, a long list of credentials as an activist, an analyst, and, uh, and uh, a long walker as well. We have that in common. <laughs> Um, and again, thanks to the folks at KHUI for helping to make this uh, program possible. Again, if you want to uh, keep in touch with uh, the work we're doing, and this is kind of both what KHUI is doing and the Fallon Forum are doing, it's pioneering work because the airwaves are not really accessible to a lot of our voices. So um, check us out on Facebook, uh, KHUI, also the Fallon Forum. And we also, again, send out a, a, a weekly blog about what's going on in our universe. Um, before we sign off completely, I want to take a second to thank uh, some of the other underwriters involved with this program. Again, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe, a full-service grocery store 
in Des Moines' Sherman Hill neighborhood. The cafe is open seven days a week for lunch and supper and for breakfast on the weekends. Cafe orders are also available using Gateway's takeout service. More information at gatewaymarket.com. Underwriting also by Ritual Cafe, located on the eastern edge of downtown Des Moines Sculpture Park. Ritual Cafe offers fair trade coffee, fair trade tea, and an all-vegetarian menu. More at ritualcafedsmiowa.net. Underwriting also by Birds and Bees Urban Farm, offering classes on how to turn your yard into dinner. Local food security is becoming more and more important to both urban and rural residents. Information at birdsbeesurbanfarm.org. Again, thanks for joining us, folks. Uh, you can also, again, catch this program rebroadcast on a number of stations around the country. There'll be a podcast available on the Fallon Forum website. And I know you can also find it in the archives of KHOI's uh, website as well. Again, thanks for joining me and our guest today on the Fallon Forum. Keep fighting for what's right. Till next week.